Future Fit Tribe, before we start today's episode, if you are looking for more inspiration, visit my column on bizcommunity.com where I unpack the burning marketing issues that businesses face today. You can sign up for our Future Fit Masterclasses at booyah.co.za to build connected customer experiences and also check out our other cool services. Last but not least, don't forget to book your tickets to our regular FutureFit networking events aimed at helping you surf the tsunami of change. The events bring fresh perspectives with tour de force speakers and thought leaders as we debate, learn, inspire, connect. Tickets always sell fast, so book today. All the links you need appear in the show notes of the episode or on the website. Now on with today's show. Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put a kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Carmen Murray Show. Super excited to have you back. Oh, my gosh. We are going to have so much fun because we are going to talk about the fact that advertising lies. And we are going to challenge the status quo, which I'm super excited about. And I want to actually tell you guys a story. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. A while ago, I had to go for an audition for a TV advertisement. And I arrived and all of a sudden um, there was this green screen and I received the script and I was told to say that my hair looks the way it looks because of this product that I've never heard of that I use. And I was standing there and I was like, I cannot say this. I don't even know what this product is. I didn't know what I was walking into. And at that moment, I just had this aha moment that it's like footsack, you know, advertisers, you know, the starting point, if you're lying from the moment that you're actually doing an ad advertisement and you're lying from that moment, that means everything from that moment is unauthentic. So for me, advertising, I think at the starting point needs to start from the beginning. There's no point in having somebody, that's my opinion, in your ad that doesn't even use your product and then tell them to say things that, that they don't even do. Anyway, so that's just some food for thought and we're going to unpack some of these bold ideas today further. So today we have in the room Rocker Mamas. We've got Brian Eltridge and we've got Mike Sharman from Retroviral. And Brian is from Rocker Mamas. So I think what I'm going to do is, Brian, if you were at a party, how would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Brian from Rocker Mamas. That's it? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you gotta got to give me more than that. <laughs> I think I would... Be a gentleman, I would introduce you and Mark first. So um, I say this is Mark from Retroviral, who I've disrupted his brain because advertising lies to us. <laughs> and he's been on this journey with us. But yes, I founded Rocker Mamas. I founded it because I think that 
my frustration with regards to what my children's generation was consuming out there and being in the industry, I actually felt that it had become, I don't want to say dishonest because we've got a lot of competitors out there that are good, but I just felt that I wanted to give something that, that, that had some sort of meaning and purpose what we what food should be and at fast food because i felt that the youngsters i mean my daughters are 18 and 20 now the youngsters at the time and i suppose the same now were still going to the mainstream fast food joints and i didn't think that it was healthy with the way food is constructed fast mm. food is constructed and actually some high-end food as well and that's what i did and uh, that's who i am so I don't know if that's a party, but that's my introduction. Well, well let me tell you, I mean, I'm a big fan of Rock and Mamas, so it's a, it's a Sunday tradition. I ordered 12 cheese balls. Uh, mm. Yeah. Cheese bombs. Cheese bombs. Well, Chili cheese bombs. I don't know all your names. sea bombs. I have them with the special mayo, and I promise you, the like it's like, uh, it is like my favorite thing in the world. Like, absolutely love it. And I love the fact that you can build your burger. So one thing that's really known for Rock and Mamas is the quirkiness. Like, you're a very, very quirky brand, and you really push the boundaries. So what was the idea behind that? I think we didn't want to take ourselves too seriously in the beginning. I think that when – we opened the first store. It was kind of a, a project. It was a place that I wanted to open somewhere where I could go hang out. So it didn't have any constructed and desperate way of doing business. And I think that it just evolved out of that. So I think that the initial early adopters were quirky in their ways. And the music that we threw into it was quirky. And the way that we did the menu was quirky. And we were changing things on a day-to-day basis. Mm. I mean... I remember when we weren't able to get certain products that we needed to make the the menu items that we had, because we were small, we'd shut the shop. Mm. We just wouldn't serve. And that was a quirky thing in itself. And yet customers would come in and say, but we want a, we want a burger. And we'd say, yeah, but sorry, we didn't get um, the supply from the supplier and we don't want to serve you crap. And um, <laughs> sit down and have a couple of beers or something. You know, it's always been quirky. And I think that hopefully we haven't lost that. I think that you know, it's eighty percent of the the franchises that we have are generally quirky. Mm. The twenty percent we work on, you know. Mm. And I mean, just one one thing that I've also noticed about Rock and Mamas is that there's there's this whole it comes from the top all the way down. Like every staff member's got the same sass. They've got this. They they love the brand, and I think they wear those shirts with so much pride. And I think it's it's quite incredible the brand that you've built. And and congratulations on that. And keep on going at it. I love it. So Mike, we've known each other through the industry and you are quite a rock star you're the king of virality and the king of digital so maybe you can give us a different introduction as to who you are what you're up to and uh, yeah i like to keep it simple so for me my introduction would be that i like to solve business problems with creativity and yeah i've been i've been on this journey with brian for three years now Mm -hmm. and uh, we spent a hell of a lot of time having interviews together, meeting people, trying to challenge each other and and try and solve business problems or, or try and create solutions from things that don't necessarily exist. And I think that's kind of a testament to the way that we partner with um, clients and develop relationships so that we can work on things as a, as a unit. Mm. And it's been quite an interesting brief on this project that we'll talk about, uh, I guess, in the next few minutes. But yeah, um, effectively, every solution, I believe, can be solved with creativity. And that creativity can 
be rolled out in different means, whether it be via digital, via outdoor means, via TV and radio. So ultimately, I'm, a, I'm an obsessive compulsive storyteller. And, and for me, I believe that key insights from truths and premises around customers and target markets, those are ultimately the keys that are going to make or break successful communication. Awesome. Well, I think without getting you guys anxious out there, I think it's time that we address what we're going to talk about. So maybe we can play you the ad, the F-bomb that Rocker Mamas dropped this week. Advertising lies is what you see, really what you get. She's in a sausage, crust in a crust. This isn't food, it's a farce. We should be furious! We're doing it for the ground. Hashtag no filter. We bring the mastery back into fast food. Our favorite F-bomb is fresh from farm to your face. Rocco Mamas, we're not normal. Love, 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 love it. Okay, so what was the brief? Brian? That was <laughs> <laughs> my shoulders. <clears throat> you know, I think that the journey with Rocco Mamas when it came to advertising was... We organically grew with social media, especially on platforms like Instagram. And then we decided that we needed to move into more mainstream advertising a couple of years ago. And that's where we met Mark and we started working together and we did a couple of advertising projects. The so one was that election burger mm, campaign. That was very did. popular. The yeah. Trump, the Hillary, yeah. Hill, Bill, Trump and the favorite? The joke. It's Brian's. <laughs> Brian's love child, the Joker. So, and I think that we worked well together and with navigating those things, we had quite a few failures as well. And obviously franchising is quite a complicated situation with regards to marketing spend because it's the franchisee's money mm. and the budget. And accordingly, they've got to choose who the ad agency is. And I think that when we came up and we decided, okay, we need to now take it to the next level with TV Initially, I was quite skeptical on TV because, I, you know, in today's day and age, you don't know what is living, dying and growing in media. You know, it's so fast. You know, Facebook two, three years ago is relevant. It just is not relevant for us at this present time with marketing, whereas, whereas Instagram is very big. So we decided, okay, we're going to start doing something on TV. And I, the brief, you don't have to say the exact brief, Mark, that we sent out, but I mean, the essence of what we'd want to do is and i think over the years having dealt with mark and having our coffees and that i think that mark managed to within this ad take a lot of the touch points that mean a lot to me and the people that work at rocker mamas and what we believe in mm -hmm. for instance whenever we do photo shoots we don't allow these food stylists and that to style up the photo so we generally do it in a store and it's always been for me that we need to under-promise and over-deliver. And that's, that's, how can you do that if you've got some Photoshop burger up there that's been done in a studio and glycerine's been put on it to make it look like when a customer comes into a store, it it's, doesn't look the same. They're going to be deflated. So we generally take all our photos in the store. We don't retouch them and everything like that. And Mark has been on that journey with us. Mm -hmm. And I think coming from an advertising background, he was quite shocked that we were that honest about our product besides getting to know the brand and what we put in our food and uh, you know the top ingredients that we use to see that that is the essence of trust for us it's very important i think that the brief was part of that is like i always used to have chat with mark and i used to say good advertising allows bad products to sell 
Yeah. And it irks me that because mm. it's not just that it's a lie, it's that advertising is so bloody creative and so good that bad or mediocre products end up selling. And that is, I think, that's a lot of this journey that when we come up with a brief, I mean, there's a brief, a proper brief document that was sent to Mark and that, but I think that the truth and the honesty of what we do on a shop floor, Mark has through the creativity of uh, the ad and the advertising and the, and the storyboard and, and the like that he wrote for the script and that was about that kind of truth. Yeah, and all the authenticity of not just the product but the experience, the fact that you know Brian uses his Randberg store, which is the first one, as like a very experimental shop where he gets to try out new things before they launch, like G-Dogs, for ex- example, across the national menu. And he works with farmers that are you know subsistence or previously disadvantaged farmers who now have app integration and he can use just-in-time technology to find out like can he order jalapenos can he order chilies and also he's a very humble guy in the the sense that he's never going to stick his hand up and shout about things about being some of the most eco-friendly products and having rid the store of plastic straws first so he's really one of those Mm. kind of partners and ceos that he doesn't like to brag about doing good and I think that there's like there's a coolness within that because you don't need to shout about certain achievements when you just when that's part of your DNA and part of your culture. So yeah, there was probably like a full on briefing document, which is a rarity nowadays in in our space. Great. And a lot of clients don't take the time to really consider what are the challenges, what is the growth. Here we have an audience of about five hundred thousand unique individuals through Facebook, through Instagram, through Twitter, and because Brian was the guy. And he wasn't the traditional digital native who was telling you, oh, you can't retweet compliments and you can't regram things from customers. You know, he just took a lot of that stuff on gut feel from the early days. So when he was retweeting people's compliments about the initial one or two restaurants or pushing uh, regrams of people sharing their own food, there's the old anecdote that I always tell about how he obsessive compulsively sat at his opening store for 18 hours a day and he'd watch like what all the issues were that were happening on the on the shop floor and you know simple things like changing the lighting so when people were excited to take their food selfies that the food looked as good online as it did in, in real life or even better oh my and gosh that's amazing they were just like quirks within his own dna and his own personality he's also obsessed about customer service so you know so many brands bang on about, oh, customer is king. And you know that's the one thing that the American brands in America have been incredible at over the years is that the customer is legitimately king and legitimately right. And we, we get a lot of lip service from all sorts of brands in South Africa about that. But I've never worked with a brand that is that obsessive compulsive around solving problems. So we have a community manager or group of community managers who monitor the different platforms. And then as soon as a complaint comes in, we need to resolve that within a matter of seconds or minutes. And then that gets escalated into a WhatsApp group. And then there's area managers, franchisees. So many times we resolve people's problems while they're still on the shop floor. And, you know, if you don't, Brian's engaged in those channels and platforms. <laughs> he sends an angry face emoji of like, why hasn't this been resolved? <laughs> if he sends the red faced emoji, you know, you're in trouble. And, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of attention to detail that filters down from a founder into franchises, into operators, into waiters and waitresses. And, and that's the great thing is like when you set that precedent and you set that example, I mean, I've, you know, in the early days of Twitter in South Africa, Michael Jordan was that guy for FNB. Like mm. he was really obsessive compulsive about Twitter and saw the value in it. But since then, I don't think there's any other brand leader other than Brian who really 
has such a, a an ear to the ground in terms of the different platforms, requests, DMs, all that stuff that's going on. And it holds the brand to greater accountability and ultimately agency to greater accountability and all the partners within the, the service delivery. And that's the exciting thing is that we get to see real customer problems solved mm. in almost real time every single day. I, I just want to add on to that. I think that because in the beginning, I handle all the customer queries and on all the platforms. And eventually as we grew, we had a little team that were, were doing it. But for me, it's always been about sorting that problem out as soon as possible. I mean, yeah. it's just, and overcompensating on it. So we've always owned the problem from a head office level to sort out, even on a franchisee level. But, but by involving Mark, the ad agency, I, I eventually had a meeting with Mark. I said, listen, I need a team because these guys are handling the social media, the Twitter, the Instagram and, 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 you know, in general on, on social media, the complaints or the queries that come through there, can he deal with it? And we actually put a team together, which is now an advertising agency is yeah. dealing with customer queries and complaints. You know how important that is because mm -hmm. they can see how, you know, in the past, I think advertising was removed from the business, mm -hmm. you know, so you're going to take the business, which is the brand owner and custodian and, they give a brief and talk to that agency and say, we need to achieve X, Y, and Z, and here's what we're about. I think with involving Mark and his team in the actual, the inner workings of the business and with the way customers feel about it mm. and the challenges that we as, have as businesses as well mm. has allowed for them to actually really, really, really trust us as a brand and and then also start understanding our customers. Mm. And that's been an awesome mm. Vibe, because it's not just a push because I think from the outset for me social media has been about communication and I think that people get that wrong about social media is they think that social media is a reality show or it's a an advertising platform it is not an advertising platform it is not on Instagram we've got 67,000 six, if not more yeah followers. Close, it's closer to 7,000 now we've got the yeah. highest amount for our category food um, follows on Instagram. We never bought a follow. We, we follow very few people. And it has been purely that when I looked at this platform, I thought, well, this is like word of mouth, uh, but with a picture to mm. go with. And that's why I was so obsessed with lighting in that because when some, a customer takes a photo of something and they're putting it on such a personal platform, saying, look, yeah, you know, this is what I've, that's word of mouth. It's like saying, well, you know, come, eat at this place it's good and re-grammy it for me has been the best way of saying well listen this customer said this about their products are they happy let me regram it so everybody else can see it and we always put a little regram thing at the bottom of the the pick so we can always credit the customer but it's not just that to credit the customers i notice a lot of other brands go regram regram we don't do that we put that little icon on at the bottom that says you know the regram icon because that also then, when you just like have a quick look at it, can see that it's a regram photo. Mm. We don't push a lot. We don't do a lot of push advertising on these platforms. We do funny, quirky little stuff that we do push, you know, something like tongue-in-cheek, and when we do our new limited edition promos and that. But it's really limited, eh, than mm. what we do, compared to a lot of the other brands. Most of it's regrams. And I think that the TV ad has grown from all these interactions with how we work together yeah. as two different businesses and how 
passionate Mark and his team are about the brand. Mm. That's amazing, mm. you know. So when he feels my pain with franchisees uh, spending money, because we had to go on a roadshow to go ask for money to do this TV ad, by the way. Really? We had to pitch in three cities to 70-plus franchisees. I made them close their eyes and, and re- read the script to them and then presented the treatment to them. So it was a very collaborative approach because we weren't going to say, hey, guys, we're going to spend your money on this and peace out. Jeez. It was more like, hey, guys, we'd love to do this. And we want your buy-in. Yeah. And you know what Brian talks about um, recently now in, in this conversation around understanding people within mm. the platforms? Mm. Like the problem with advertising and marketing in general is that we still, we box people into these demographics mm. and the psychographics are the most important element of that. So Brian talks about the timeless millennial where you can be 25 or 75. You feel like a millennial. You feel like the characteristics associated. Thank you. <laughs> So well, I, say, I can't. Sorry, I can't stand these. Yeah. F- where they say fifteen to twenty-five or twenty-four-year-old park target market twenty-five to thirty-five. I'm like, what is that? So we target twenty to thirty-year-olds because it's the golden age group for me. Because people in their teens want to be twenty because they're tired yeah. of mom and dad telling them what to do and they just wish to be free. And once you're over in your 30s and 40s and 50s, you still want to be in your 20s. It's the best yeah, time of your life. Exactly. So it is the ultimate thing. Target that. that because everybody is that. Everybody wants to be that. And people sitting in our stores can be anybody from a 16-year-old to a 65-year-old, but they're all cool. Yeah. Because they all understand that. I, that. What I love about that is that you're this ultimate woke brand. Like you do everything that we all talk about all the time. Without being political. Without being political, but you do all of these touch points. You're a true brand that's all about customer experiences. And and one thing about the targeting elements, and that's one thing that I've been challenging on social stages and, and social platforms and where I talk, is that we should stop segmenting people and putting people in boxes. We pay millions and millions of rands on research and we put people back in boxes. And in the end of the day is that we should group people by behavior. We shouldn't be grouping people about, like, this is a millennial this is a digital native and this is a digital immigrant this is not how we're supposed to do things because we are all humans and it's putting humans first and that is what I'm getting from just from from this conversation is that it's a human first brand and you don't push advertising because people hate advertising you give people what they want and trust, which is the currency of the 21st century is what you're all bringing to the table through everything that you do I mean what you just mentioned now Mike that this roadshow Getting the franchisees, is it right? Franchisees. Yeah, we call it the franchisee buying, but yeah, the franchisees. Okay, the franchisees. The other day doing a talk specifically for franchisees and how to approach their marketing. And they all came to me afterwards and said that they have no power over their marketing. They just pay their monthly fee. They have no power and the marketing is not being spent on their specific brand and the challenges that they are having within their business to try and drive certain products. And the fact that you are thinking about that even on the ground level of how you can actually do something collaborative that actually enhances the entire business. I love that. And what's great is each of them get to have their own Facebook page. So they have a local Facebook page. They can engage with their communities on the ground. Obviously, there's always more stuff that we can work together on, but we're trying to develop a better plan so that we can feel like each of the franchisees has the opportunity to have their creative freedom. I mean, some of the guys have developed their own unique burgers to their stores, which have been some of the most best performing Mm -hmm. line items on their menus. Um, So it's really interesting to see uh, like how they bring their own creativity to the mix. And then the brand as a whole has mother brand 
brand Instagram and Twitter accounts. So, so that's, that's one of the ways that, you know, you can always do more with that partnership, but we try and include them and involve them as much as possible. There's different WhatsApp groups, there's different uh, monthly or quarterly meetings that Brian attends. So, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think that was a great way to show the guys. And, and everyone's going to be a little bit nervous and hesitant when you're doing your first TV commercials. It's a decent investment. So like, let's try and, and involve as many people as possible and create those debates so you can have the opportunity mm-hmm. to put your hand up and say, I really hate this. Or, wow, guys, we think you've got the sentiment right. And, and it's something that really resonates with, with those individuals. Something else that's really interesting I think it was Cannes, the Cannes Lions Festival, two years or three years ago that they did this whole research thing and they discovered that the companies that works the best together is the people with the best collaboration happening between them. And also that the people that have known each other for a very long time have been working with certain people for a long time. And something that I can see just by the, the chemistry, <laughs> not that not that kind of chemistry, but the chemistry that you guys have, you know, ooh, not voila, <laughs> not voila. Brian loves me. He's just acting cool. <laughs> but I mean, the chemistry, if you guys were in studio and you could see it, I mean, you guys are so in sync with each other. And I think that's the starting point of great communication. That's the starting point of of building a brand with passion because it exudes into the public domain so would you say that maybe that's one big problem that we have in the advertising industry is because this kind of chemistry does not exist between clients and agency so i'm going to look at it from a business point of view Mm -hmm. i think that when you're talking the advertising world for me it's a problem in generally in the business world so i think that Business relationships with suppliers, for instance, of any form, whatever that whatever they're supplying, whether it's services or or goods, doesn't have a collaborative relationship in such a way. It's more of people living on a golf course or getting drunk at some yearly event and taking them out for the odd business lunch. But it's not a true, honest relationship. And us as Rocker Mums have built quite a few relationships with various stakeholders and suppliers where we we want the same type of chemistry and relationship with all our suppliers because mm. it's important. Because, you see, for me, what we do is more than just provide sustenance mm. and food. It's a, you know, food is a, it's an ancient, ancient uh, since like when we were still crawling around before we even became Homo sapiens. <laughs> but it's a ritual. People use food to celebrate and. But yet it's sustenance to keep us going. And it's, but it's such a personal thing, food. And it doesn't matter if it's fast food or if it's five star gourmet. It's still about sustenance. And, but it's the experience around that that you do. But it's a very personal relationship driven industry, very tough industry, very mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. And if you can't have that level of chemistry and personal relationship with any of the stakeholders and suppliers within that chain, whether it be somebody who's selling the concept, the advertising, mm. or whether it's somebody that's selling product that's part of the raw materials, part of the final menu item that goes to the customer, including all the stakeholders in between, which is staff. There's so many values that you need to mm. uphold in this game, you know? So your employees need to also buy into them, needs to be trust in that, that chain that I think that, We've lost the plot if we can't have that sort of uh, mm. chemistry in a relationship with all our suppliers. And I think Mark's met quite a few of them over the years. But generally, it is like that. And that includes franchisees. So yeah. going around 
to sell the idea and the concept to the franchisees. I'm a franchisee as well, so I kind of understand what it feels like being a franchisee because you have the cold face and you're the person that's that's mm. you know slogging all the hours and that. But a franchisee and franchisor relationship is also a very complicated relationship because mm. you know in in worldwide, and I think that if you look at it, a lot of franchisees are people that would have come from a corporate background, wanted to get out of corporate, wanted to work for themselves, have their own business, and uh, and then they buy a franchise. What they don't realize is a franchisor is like the boss they used to have. It's mm. a little bit worse now because now you're working harder, longer hours, you know, you're not just clocking in and out. And a, a franchisor is going to be a lot more autocratic and rigid about what they need to but the franchisee needs what KPIs they need to achieve mm. because not just for the franchisee's success in that particular area or region, but because the way the franchisee runs that particular branch will determine how good the other branches are perceived. So Correct. as a franchisor, you've got to be quite prescriptive about your approach. And yeah. I found that difficult because I like individuality and in that mm. we do, we've got this type of loose approach of doing things like that. But you know, so generally worldwide franchisees are distrustful of franchisors and that sort of relationship mm. and maybe vice versa as well. Mm. But it is a symbiotic relationship that needs to live and coexist Correct. together because the one can't be without the other. And I've got that sort of, when I say, ah, oh, me as the person that founded Rock and Mamas, I've always had angst and the anger that I used to have as a franchisee when I was just a franchisee before I even started Rock and Mamas. I always didn't want that to happen to my franchisees. And I mean, I never had that angst with my Spur steak ranchers. I always found Spur very good. They're very mm. good communication. And I, over the 15 years that I've been a franchisee of theirs, I always found them very honorable and mm. honest. Mm. So it was quite a good fit for me when I eventually did a deal with them. But well, I, you're part I, of the Spur group, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're shareholder with me. Correct. They bought into Rock and Mamas. But these are, and hence, once again, before they even came to me, we had a lot of private equity guys come throwing millions around at us and other brands, big businesses. And I just said, look, I'm not willing to do that because of trust. Mm. You know, I, I can't, I'm not just going to sell half the business for money. It doesn't work like that. And when I finally sat down and I did a deal with Spur, it was purely because of the historical relationship that I have, I mean, I've still got three Spur steak ranches myself. I'm still a franchisee of Spur. But that level of that relationship that we had over the last, up until that point, 12, 12 years, before Spur got involved with Rocky Mamas, that is what gave me the confidence to do a, a business partnership with a company like Spur. Mm. You know, and that's, once again, and that the entire way we run Rocky Mamas with all the stakeholders, with the mm. advertising and that, it's so important that that honesty and that like that ethos that we have, it's not just lip service. Mm. I mean, that ethos that we have within the DNA of the company, people like Mark and Ritraval experience. Mm. Mm. And that is the chemistry mm. that you're talking about. Generally. Just to your point, I mean, I used to work at Spur. I used to be a Spur manager many, many years ago. And one thing that I can say about Spur and also knowing your story now, I feel like I want to go and eat at Rockamamas every day. Because I'm in customer experiences, that's my thing. And you like everything that I, I'm like, everything that I live for, you are that. But one thing I can say honestly about Spur and also about Rocker Mamas is that you understand the business that you're in. 
where I think a lot of companies out there don't understand that the business that they're in, that there's, there's, there's a lot that goes on beyond externally, beyond their own ecosystem um, and understanding that. And that's why live, a true brand that lives long and forever is a brand that truly understands what they stand for. I mean, I'm going to use a quick example. If you look at um, why is it that the movie industry did not create Netflix? Why is it that the PR industry that was in the reading business did not create Netflix? There's there's so many different questions that we have is because they don't they didn't understand the business that they were in. And that's why they couldn't disrupt and evolve. And you have honestly created a business that is disrupting as we are seeing in the advertising um, just through the spoken word. But also when you go in this is sensorial experiences the physical the digital experiences everything is connected in a seamless and integrated manner so bravo to bravo to that so you can hear the afrikaans is coming through today big time anyway i want to get to understanding how did you come up with this idea because i think what you did was very very bold you know, you drop a bomb. Usually when you drop a bomb like what you've done now on advertising lies and calling people out, you can get quite a lot of negativity around that and get negative feedback from people that are precious about other brands. How did you come up with that idea and what made you push forward on this? I think it's, you know, you take a lead from Brian's observational insights, especially in the sense that, you know, we, we have so many people in the cold face of communities in communication we have a mixture of shapes sizes races creeds cultures monitoring social so in some instances a tweet requires a vernac response you know and it's not some white dude who's trying to be clever and trying to put out mm. a comment like that's an authentic response and an authentic engagement so nothing from a communications point of view when it's reactive is ever contrived it all has to be as authentic and have as much integrity as possible. And we've seen that recently with some of our most retweeted comments and engagements. They've been from like a very snap reaction or an engagement or throw a bit of shade, depending on where it's coming from. <laughs> and fortunately, as this, as this challenger brand and as a, as a growing and as an up and coming brand, we have the ability to, to be a little bit David Goliath in a lot of situations. Yes. And what's been great about that is like we've taken cues from what people have said. Correct. On the social floor. And a lot of those insights come from what people are saying about the brand. Um, there's this big trend and rhetoric online at the moment in terms of expectation versus reality. And what Brian was talking about, where you see a picture of this beautiful burger and then it comes out like a, a squashed alter ego of that image. And I think that that's something that we really wanted to hold ourselves to greater accountability. And because of the, the brand and how it strives for, you know, it's ne never going to be a hundred percent perfect. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, what happens in reality. And that's what happens where you have partners that sometimes do deliveries and there's drivers involved in this human error. There's, there's never going to be a hundred percent perfection. And that's what Brian talks about. Perfect imperfection so mm. if we mess up we must take responsibility for it and we must be held accountable and and the same is like this this ad is almost like an anti-festo it's almost like a call to arms to say you know this is what we feel is wrong within certain parts of the industry we want to be better and we're going to put our hands up and say like we're 
putting our heads on the line here because yeah, there, there can still be a backlash. There can still be people that can, Oh, you promised me this on your TV commercial and this is what I got. And that's going to happen. Mm. And we expect that to happen. But I think we've just gone down the route of like, we're going to put out there what we're seeing and what we're observing. And this is where we, we want to bring the mastery back into fast food. Like that's our thing. Like we really are. Our favorite F bomb is fresh. You know, like you heard yeah. on, on that piece that you played earlier. From farm to face. <laughs> exactly. Smash <laughs> it in go. your face, you know, and, and, we like to communicate and talk with our audience in a way that is natural and it's not, mm. hey, let's be clever copywriters and let's put these fancy words together. It's more like how do people actually communicate and how do they talk? And, you know, going back to that point around collaboration, like we sit and we, we sit in the stores. We have our meetings in Brian's restaurants. Like, I mean, yesterday we met at his office for the first time in, I think, about two years. But I know that he's going to be sitting there at six thirty, seven in the morning. If I want to find Love him, that. I'll go hunt him hunt him down. And I won't say which store it is because then you'll probably get some fangirls and fanboys <laughs> going to run and meet him then. But I think yeah. I'm going to do my 40th at Rocker Mama's. <laughs> nice. but, but I think that like those collaboration elements are important. And, and exactly like the comment around unique experience – now the franchisees have a kit that they can choose where they can choose which specific seating or lighting. There's like a toolbox of things that you can mix and match mm. to still have the look and feel, the colors. But Brian takes a lot of his lead from trends where, you know, Starbucks, they've gone on this evolution where they mm. show different unique opportunities within store level, like obsessed with Apple's advertising and journey over the years. And there's so many things from Louis Vuitton or Burberry and ups and downs and highs and lows. Yeah, Benetton, Body Shop and Lush and... <laughs> And I think that that sort of banter that we have and chat about, I think what I like about Mark and his team in general is that they get quite excited about some of those stories. Since I was young, I was obsessed with, and I'm talking when I was much younger, I was obsessed with the relationship between a brand and consumer. Mm. And how that relationship, if it's fleeting, if it's a one-out stand, if it's courting, eventually marriage, and, uh, you know, is that life cycle of that brand a lifetime? And why some brand life cycle is just a flash in the pan and others are these awesome multi-generational brands like a Coca-Cola or... So I've read a lot of these business books about how they started and where they started. And we often chat about different things of what, what I've read because that relationship of that name and of that logo is way more than what we just put mm. it down to. I think it's more intuitive than just... Mm colors and marketing that makes or allows customers feel that emotive connection to a brand in whichever segment that it plays. Mm. You know, I mean, you could get something from like diesel, Benetton through to Burberry. Mm. You know, it's, there's emotive qualities that happen to each of those brands. And if you think about it, it's not a fancy font or a fancy color and things like that. And I think that these sort of chats that we have quite often, we delve into trying to understand how I started the brand. I designed it on Corral Draw and I played around with it. And my inspiration to try to get these two words together to make up the word Rockamamas and all these things is what we talk about. Mm. So when you have that sort of level of engagement, and then what I'm passionate about, for instance, is individuality, which is counter intuitive when you think about franchising because it's quite dangerous going down that path and what mike's talking about now is over the last 15 odd stores that we've designed and built they've all been individual in look and feel but there is 
well, the formulas come together. It's quite difficult to to do this. The first one or two, we, we, we it was hit and miss. But you need to have like my synopsis. The way I would describe this is when I when when I try explain it to somebody is if the, I want them all to look individual. Mm. But if you're walking through a mall and in the corner of your eye there's a blur that goes past, you need to know it's a rock among us. How do you achieve that? Hmm. So that's what we've been playing with. And there are certain touch points that need to have that focal point that needs to be that hook. There needs to be that hook. You always need that hook. You need that hook in a in limited edition promo material, a burger that you put up in advertising. You need the hook and um, you need the hook and the look. It mm. just is what it is. With, you know, and it's these sort of things that we chat about. So now how does that, what is so important about that journey? Well, that journey is important for me partly because if I look at franchising, franchising for me as an individual, for me it was quite cookie cutter and restaurant by numbers because you want it to be, it's quite a clever concept because people know what they're going to get before they pay for it. Mm. That's the art of franchising. Mm. But the problem is that it also allows a lot of mediocrity to exist for consumers. You know, so people will, will pay for something that could be substandard. But the other problem is as well with franchising, that is if somebody has one, one or two bad experiences, they judge the rest of the franchise group accordingly. So it's quite complicated, but I didn't want it to be so cookie cutter and restaurant by number so i wanted some form of individuality whereby what we did was we had the personalization of the menu for the customer and then we decided okay let's put some on the menu we have different flavor x's where the flavor x wings flavor x ribs and different burgers where the franchisee can do whatever they want mm. for their customers in that way but i still wasn't hitting the the mark a hundred percent i wanted how did i get these individuals to love their businesses because we can do yeah. all the advertising in the world we can do all the the greatest product in the world but if a, if, a, if an individual doesn't love their business mm. they won't love their customer and I mean that's why we're here at the end of Good. the day and I think that by default having this this unique store design and we've evolved it into where there's quite a few choices for franchisees so what we do now is we involve a franchisee in the actual design of these stores mm. So a franchisee looks at it and let's say it's a store like Menlin, which we opened about a month ago. Now he, that franchisee's got two other stores. Mm. So in this particular one now we're involved. We do, we do 3D presentations for his store now. We try to find the personality of that environment, of that suburb, for instance, and we give it a bit of a spin, our designers, and then we give it to the franchisee. And the franchisee looks at this and he says, I'd like, can we try these lights that I saw at this other franchise. Wow. And then we can try interchange so that the franchisee gets involved in the build and there's something emotive that happens with them. They start saying, my rocker mamas. Huh. My rocker mamas. There's something special about it, about that journey and hopefully that seed of that journey from when they start in that build. Because I've also noticed, for instance, uh, these franchisees that maybe have two or three stores, when we build this individual store now, because we're doing this now completely going forward, they on that site every day while they're built. Whereas the second one we built, they'd be there like two or three times in a six-week period while the build is being built. And that's something special. That means that they've got invested love for that business. And mm -hmm. if I can achieve that, then I know sure. that we'll be able to survive a century because that individual 
will pass that love on to his kids who are hopefully take over that business or won't sell that business to any individual that just wants to mock and do it for the money. You have officially become my superhero. Oh, thank you. Like, you are, honestly, you've got superpowers like crazy. <laughs> okay. I want to ask you a question, Mike. Where do you think the future of advertising is going? I think that for me, like our focus, we always digital first and digital led because that's where the conversations are are happening. So, so for me, I've never been a channel fan. I've been more an idea fan. Mm. And the great thing about that is that ideas can then work and have legs to participate in all forms of channels. Like we're very uh, media agnostic in terms of our thinking. But if you have a key insight and a premise that will resonate with an audience, it doesn't matter where they're playing. Mm. But ultimately, you know, we still, we, we humans first and channel second. So there's always going to be new tech. There's always going to be new platforms. There's always going to be new social networks that rise and fall. But ultimately, if you're not, like Brian says, emotionally engaging or connecting with an audience, then you failed before you've even started. So, yeah. And the message that you wanted to portray, obviously, to the markets about advertising lies, what was the message that you want to put out there for for other organizations and businesses? Is it a conversation that you that you want to start? Do you want people to, to you know, shape up or ship out? What was the, the message that you wanted to get out to the target audience? I think we're living in quite a complicated time. You know, there's a lot of populism. There's a lot of uh, narratives that are quite negative on social in just general conversations. And I think it's it's more around creating the conversation for people to question things more. You know, is mm. what you see really what you get? Like it's a time of a lot of fake news and a lot of pointing of fingers. Correct. And the sentiment in, in, the sentiment in general is is quite, quite low at mm. the moment. So for me, it is. It's It's more around... Hey, we should we should be asking questions more. We should be mm. we shouldn't just be taking things at face value. Mm, for sure. I wish we could sit here and talk the whole day long. Like I want to dive into like every little granny because one question I do have, Brian, is mm-hmm. why the color orange? I've always wondered why you chose orange. I think because when I was younger, I liked the orange juice and. Um, <laughs> you know, so the the mosaics and rocker mamas when I first got into designing the store was from a another franchise called the Russian Tea Room, and their their mosaics were some flowers and they had pixelated, but their colours were greys, yellows, blacks, and whites. And I kind of looked at this and I thought it's a little bit florally and the like. So what we did was we we took 80s, we took graffiti yeah. and we also took 1980s video games and we pixelated those and we needed to come to a color palette that could work. So obviously when you look at the psychology of colors f- for food, you know, you've got to look at yellows, oranges and reds. They're consuming colors. So for instance, imagine Rocker Mamas instead of the orange was purple. Ah. So the yellow was taken, obviously, by this Russian tea room. And then we pixelated things and we played around with a couple of shades of orange. But the orange just worked for me. I think that it just, you know, it just really is a warm color. And it does, it's an honest warm color. And although it's got a bit of sweetness, so, so I mean, the sweet flavor sense is actually got to do with the fact that when we are primal, it told our brains to expect 
energy and calories. Mm. It was the only food source that we could actually eat. Anything butter was poison, and we didn't understand the others because we didn't have savory. We couldn't really cook up. So it is an important psychological thing as well, you know. So it has got all these little like it's a sweet brand, it's a quirky brand, it's and I love the color. I, like it's a I very love happy it. Color. I mean, I always been. I mean, even if uh, there's a picture on the wall there that's got orange. Uh, orange f- for me is also something that really it, it wakes my soul up. But I've always wondered when I sit in the rock of mamas why the color orange? Because also orange is known to be the color for education and learning and like you'll see the university of johannesburg is orange and like a lot of hmm. schools have orange so you can maybe start playing in the education game and educate people on the right way of doing advertising hey wouldn't yeah, that well, be maybe amazing people can educate me <laughs> well maybe maybe okay so in tradition we we play a game usually we play the barry hilton game but i've decided because you guys are so quirky we have to do something quirky not that barry hilton's game is not quirky but we gotta we gotta we gotta create some 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 vibes here so just open up that for me please yeah and Mike is going to be the person that is going to be doing this. Oh, no. And it is hygienically clean and it has been in sanitizer all day long. And you're not allowed to see that. We're not allowed to see it either. You have to it's put a terrible it. Game. This is what's your mouth. So you have to put this thing in your mouth right now. And I just want to open these cards if my nails were just like, eh. like this. Oh my god, you did it! Usually people don't know how to do I've that. I've done this before. So <laughs> you have to choose see a what card you and, your and wife we do. Hey, honey, hey, honey. Okay, you have to choose a card. Because I told the people that you maybe put a plastic device in my mouth, so it's expanding it so that I can't. Because I sound like I've just had a stroke. <laughs> Hello, okay. hello, Khan. Oh my God. Are you, you Taryn? Can you see this? <laughs> we're filming it and we're uh, going to put the link okay. below. All right. Okay. So can you take out a card and we have a ticker that's going to go off and we have to guess what he is saying. I. I. Just. Just. Soiled. Slayed. Soiled. 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 I. My, my pants, trousers, trousers, trousers. Intentionally, 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 I, Ralph, cannot take this jocularity. Something okay. about jocularity. I, 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 Ralph. <laughs> vows. My vows. My vows cannot vows. take. Vows. Cannot take my jocularity. My. Oh. Okay, you got a reason. Oh, was... <laughs> well done. My vows really cannot good. take this jocularity. <laughs> and what was the other one? I soiled my trousers intentionally to prove a point. Fantastic. That was brilliant. This is Barry Hilton's game. No, this is not Barry Hilton's oh. game. But this, Barry Hilton's game. But Barry Hilton's game is smart ask, which is um, very funny because when you play it on a tick and you, they, all of a sudden your brain just shuts down um, because instead of saying a smart ask, you smart ask. Anyway, and um, and the game's also a card game where you ask the questions, but I wanted to, to put Mike on the spot today. Thanks. Thanks I really that. wanted to do that so we can make it go viral. Nice. Yeah. Lovely. Done. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Guys, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time being here. You guys are absolutely amazing, incredible. Lots of love. And thank you so much. And for the audiences, stay tuned. We've got some very cool episodes dropping soon. So keep on listening and subscribing. Cheers, guys. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. For show notes and more episodes, visit solidgoldstudios.co.za slash Carmen Murray.